now we will read from Zechariah chapter 3. We already read from Amos, and the sermon will be taken from these representatives of the minor prophets as the first of our Advent sermons on this one on the theme of hope, the raised sanctuary of David. So having read Amos 9, 11 through 15 in our responsive reading, we now read Zechariah 3, verses 1 to 10. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts, I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Oh God, give us hope. We need hope for eternity. We need hope for right now. Open your word to us that we may receive that hope from your hand, even in the reading and proclamation of the scripture, and even in our living this coming week and the months to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are those who make their own hope, and there are those who receive hope from God. Hey, I'm all for the self-reliant when it comes to making a living, but there is a matter of our eternal destiny beyond this life. Yes, we are meant to have aspirations and desires for this life. And it involves family, it involves our work life, it involves the development of our person. 
Yet there is a hope that goes beyond all these things that we are seeking for here and now. Worldly success. The hope for more and more money, more and more prestige. As the Bible says in Jeremiah 45, 5, And do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. Key phrase there is, for yourself. Are you just hoping for better and better for yourself? Like we said last week, a quote about John Rockefeller, who was asked, how much money is enough? And he replied, oh, just one more dollar. You know, there's something about the firm expectations of a preferred future that distinguish God's hope from ours. You see, I had all kinds of hopes growing up. I wanted to be on the junior high basketball team at Eastern Christian High School, Eastern Christian Middle School on 8th Street in Prospect Park. I liked the guys who hung out on that team. They were the big guys in the school and very popular. And I went and tried out and I was sent home. You see, you have the hopes and yet you don't always have the skills that go and are necessary for fulfilling those hopes. I was sent off to American Legion Jersey Boys State from Midland Park, New Jersey. And they were, all these boys from all over the state were down in Trenton at Ryder College. And they gathered there to be elected state senator or to be elected senator or to be uh, elected this or that official. And I came home as the state of New Jersey dog catcher. So I tell you, my hopes were not fulfilled. And we have to consider the fact that all these things that we conjure up in our hearts are not necessarily God's plan for us. And they are sometimes need to be recalibrated in terms of the reality of our life as the rubber meets the road. But trusting in God is believing on him and who he is, not who I am and my skill set and my athletic ability or this or that. It's the security of his character as the creator, the redeemer, the friend, the friend of those who believe upon him. It's not believing and trusting in my own ability to make it in this world. It is trusting in what he has done already in sending his son at Christmas and sending his son to the cross on Good Friday to be raised up from the grave on Easter Sunday. And so let us get a glimpse of God's version of things. Let us hear from the minor prophets this Advent season. And by no means does that mean they're unimportant. It simply means that the 12 last prophets in the New Old Testament are a shorter set of books. Each one is shorter than the major prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. And let us hear from these prophets throughout this Advent season and this morning from Amos 9, verses 11 to 15, hope is promised for all kinds of people who do not walk in denial. 
and Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 5, hope is fulfilled for a sinner counted righteous by the Lord. And hope is accomplished by bringing forth the Messiah who went to the cross for our salvation. Zechariah 3, 6 through 10. So first, from the book of Amos, if you want to turn there, Amos 9, verses 11 through 15, the prophet Amos had been laying before the nation of Israel its sins. This is found on page 812 and 813 and there. And a very famous verse from this book of Amos is, let justice roll down like water. This is Amos 5 and verse 24 on page 811. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. There's a lot of things that have gone wrong in our world. And there was a lot going wrong in that world of Israel. Justice had not been flowing down. And God corrected them in this book of prophecy, which he spoke through Amos, the, the sheep herder. And if you go to Amos 2 and verse 6, back on 809, it says, Amos chapter 2, verse 6, Thus, because they have sold, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of of sandals. In other words, they were willing to indenture people of their own people just to have the kind of slavery, uh, those who were uh, very upright people for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. And then that was found and followed up with Amos 8 and verse 14, where we see idolatry pouring out. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. Yes, false gods was part of their sin. And if you turn back to Amos 4 and 1, page 810, it affected their everyday life. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. There was some drinking in excess going on there. And then there's a verse I'm just not going to read to you. I don't want to read it aloud unnecessarily in a worship service. But if you look at Amos chapter 2 and verse 7, there's the horrific sin of child abuse. Yes, the sin was deep and grievous, and he warned them of a coming exile. Chapter 3 and verse 11, 311. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall be all around the land. He shall sap your strength from you, and your palaces shall be plundered. And so there is a wrecking of the palaces of the king, and then if you turn back to 9-1 at the end of the book, where we're going to settle down now for a few minutes, it says in 9-1, page 814, 
I saw the Lord standing by the altar. That's the altar. That means he's in the temple. And he said, strike the doorposts that the thresholds may shake and break them on the heads of them all. I will slay the last of them with the sword. He who flees from them shall not get away, and he who escapes from them shall not be delivered. He speaks here of the destruction of the temple. If the doorposts are shaking and the thresholds are are moving around, they're going to be broken down on the heads of all. That's the destruction of everyone in the temple because the temple is falling on them. And this was prophesied that happened in 587 BC and then it happened again in 70 AD after Jerusalem and the religious leaders there rejected Jesus Christ. But then here is a word of warning that's very specific. If you look at verse 10, it says, All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say the calamity shall not overtake nor confront us. That's a warning to us that we would never deny that there is a coming judgment. A coming judgment, and for us, that's at the second coming of Christ. If we deny that, then we have no part in the words of hope, which I'm about to share in verses 11-15. We are indeed those who are committers of actual deeds of sin. It says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are also those who are guilty of original sin, that sin with which we're born. It says Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Indeed, We will all face a judgment, and if we deny it, then we're just going to simply get it. We're going to die by the sword. We will die by some means if we deny that we are sinners in need of a Savior. But today, if you will confess your sin and turn from it to faith in Christ, you will be made the inheritor of a great promise that was made for all. Who believe? Look at verse 11. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. This tabernacle was a picture of a place to meet God. Before the temple was built under Solomon, there was a tabernacle that they worshipped in going through the wilderness wanderings. And there was also a tabernacle which was brought into Jerusalem itself. And it's called the Tabernacle of David. In Psalm 61.4, which was written by David, it says, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. And so this was a place of worship, but it was broken down. It was damaged. It was going to be placed in ruins. Actually, its successor, the temple, would be actually destroyed when Jerusalem fell 
in 587 and it would be destroyed again in 70 AD. But here we speak of a building up of the tabernacle, a rebuilding. And this is the building up of the church of Jesus Christ. You recall that Jesus called himself the temple? He himself was that meeting place between God and his people. He says in John 2, 21, in the verses previous, that in, uh, this temple would be destroyed and in three days it will be rebuilt. And he wasn't talking about the physical temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about his own body, that he would be crucified and then three days later he would be raised from the dead. John 2, 21, Jesus referred to the body that would be destroyed and then in three days would be raised up. But also, as he was raised as the meeting place between God and man, he also was building up a tabernacle of David, which the commentators have called the church militant. That doesn't mean that we're supposed to go around and be angry people, okay? It's not like we're militant meanies, okay? It simply means there is a spiritual battle going on on earth, and we are not the church triumphant, which has been taken to heaven and is reigning there and enjoying Christ. We are still the church militant. We're still the ones fighting the good fight right here. And this building it up is associated with Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 18, where it says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The tabernacle of David is that church where we have a hope to hear of Christ preached, to have fellowship among brothers and sisters, to have a rejoicing in his presence, which is like a foretaste of heaven. And we even read in Ephesians chapter 2, 5, that we are raised up together with Christ. Even when we were dead in trespasses, Christ, God made us to alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Indeed, the tabernacle of David is a place for all those who trust in him. If you look at Amos chapter 9 and verse 12, we see that it is a blessing of the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. It's inclusive of all ethnic groups. It's inclusive of all ec economic standing, of all social classes in a culture. It is inclusive of all who are called by my name. To be called by the name of God, you need to call on the name of God and ask him to save you and ask him to bring you to himself. And the blessing is continuing. You look at verse 13. Wow, what a hope. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. This is a picture of such great abundance that the plowman overtakes the reaper. The treader of grapes overtakes him who sows seed. Kyle and Dalich explain it this way, I quote, 
even while the one agricultural worker is engaged in plowing the land for the sowing, the other agricultural worker, the reaper, will already be able to cut ripe corn. So quickly will the corn grow and ripen. It grows and ripens so quickly that it's there already even as the man is planting it. So the reaper goes right into action. And then it says, the treading of the grapes will last to the sowing time. In other words, there's going to be so much of a, of a harvest of grape that will last through the winter. So abundant will the vintage be. I know many of you put away vegetables for the winter. You can for yourself. You freeze for yourself. And that bounty lasts all the way till the next time that there is a planting. This is a picture of the abundance of God in your life. The mountains are dripping sweet wine. This is an allusion to the land of milk and honey. There is such abundance. And is, there is a promise of bringing back the captives of my people Israel. Yes, that was fulfilled partly in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. But there is a longer range coming back. Coming back to God. That is God's call to us today. To come back to him. To hear his call that we would be a people of hope. Rather than a people of denial denying that calamity could overtake or confront us. Don't be in denial, but come, come to Christ, recognizing our sin and our need of a Savior. And then it says in Zechariah 3, verses 1 to 5, this hope, which is promised, is fulfilled for a sinner who is counted righteous by the Lord. If you look there in chapter 3, Joshua the high priest is standing before the angel of the Lord. This is most likely the second person of the Trinity. It is most likely a Christophany standing there in a vision before uh, Zechariah and a picture of Joshua the high priest. He was one of the leading priests who helped the rebuilding of the temple at that time of return from exile. And now we have not only the Christ there, we have the accuser of the saints. Look at verse 1. Satan is standing at his right hand to oppose him. And so we have a picture of the spiritual battle going on, a picture of that church militant I was spoke, speaking about a while back. And the accusation of the devil opposing him is an accusation that continues to this day against God's people. It says in Revelation 12, 10, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down who accused them before our God day and night. The devil is after you day and night. The devil is wagging his finger at you the devil is pointing out your sins to God and saying, oh, you could never love such a one as that. You could never have such a one as that come into your presence. Now, could you? And the accusation is refuted here now. It's refuted as we see in verse number two 
The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? You see, none of us have any hope apart from the grace of God. We are brands plucked from the fire. We don't jump out of the fire on our own. We don't get out by our own volition. Yes, Christ comes to us. Christ comes to us and he pulls us out of the flames of punishment. And he comes to us and he brings us in his own grace and his own mercy to have fellowship with him. And so the rebuke of Satan is this. Here is one who has confessed my name. Do you remember that? Remember that promise? It says in verse number 12 of Amos 9, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Will you be called by the name of Christ? Will you trust in him? that he will rescue you, that he will not only bring you out of the fire, but he will cleanse you. Verse 3, with 4, he has filthy garments. He's just all beat up. There was a lot of sin going on, even among the religious class then. It says that they were doing a lot of intermarrying that they shouldn't have done as, as religious leaders. And then it says, Verse 4, he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. So God not only cleanses us from our sins, he also clothes us in the positive righteousness of Jesus Christ. And of this we read in Colossians where we read of putting off the old clothing and putting on the new by faith. We need to believe in Christ, putting off the old, that's repentance, and putting on the new which is offered to us freely by the Lord God. And now coming to the third point, Zechariah 3, 6 through 10, hope is accomplished by bringing forth of the Messiah. There had to be a way to make this all happen. God is not just going to wink at sin. He needed to see a payment for sin. And that is seen here when we recognize that the Lord is speaking to Joshua. And he says in verse 8, that they are a wondrous sign. Their forgiveness is a sign pointing toward my servant, the branch. This is the branch which sprung up out of the root of Jesse, which we learn from uh, the, the, the uh, prophet Isaiah. This branch sprang up out of the deadness of that religious system, and the system was very dead at the time that Jesus had come to earth. The leaders were corrupt. There were many true believers among the people, but the leadership was corrupt. And I take the view of Jesus himself, who bewails the scribes and the Pharisees, calling them hypocrites. 
calling them those who are whitewashed tombs, who indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but are inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. They were leaving secret lies of wickedness. And indeed, it says, Matthew 23, 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish with all their ceremonial washings, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Indeed, the branch would rise up out of this dead stump, and that branch was Jesus when he was born in Bethlehem. And then that branch is pictured under another picture. There's all kinds of images going on here. In verse 9 it says, For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon the, upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Can you think of a day? when the iniquity of Emmanuel's land was removed in one day, that is none other than Good Friday, when Jesus Christ died at the cross. He is the stone. He is that stone, that foundation, which is talked about in the Bible, the chief cornerstone upon which we must build our life. He is the stone which broke up the kingdoms of the ancient world as it was talked about in Daniel chapter 3, a stone that broke things up. He is the stone. He is the rock of our salvation. And the engravings have been taken by some to mean the piercings and the openings, the incisions and cuts made by the crown of thorns and the uh, nails in the hands and the, and the spear in the side. And the eyes of all upon him have been described by one commentator as all the eyes of God and the angels and the people looking upon this stone, seeing what was happening that day. The eyes of the Father planning it. The eyes of the Holy Spirit empowering Christ in his earthly ministry, the eyes of the angels upon him, the eyes of the saints in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the eyes of all good and bad fastened on him when he comes a second time in glory, and the eyes of all the glorified ones in heaven who will worship him forever. Yes, this, all eyes are upon the stone a universal beholding of God, some in faith and some in fear. And he will remove the iniquity of that land in that day. And then a beautiful picture of comity. Verse 10, In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. That We have a community of hope here. We have a community of love in Christ church in this tabernacle of David, which is raised up in that day. Today, I want to share with you the good news. That if you feel shame, if you feel accused by the devil because of wrong things you have done, if you feel like you just can't make it, 
I ask you today to know that the Lord is defending you against the, re- the, the satanic attack. He is rebuking, rebuking Satan as you have called upon the name of the Lord. Come in peace before him and confidence in his love. Secondly, come to Christ today in faith. Come believing him. Don't deny sin, but run to him. Don't think there is not a day of reckoning, that the calamity won't come, but recognize that today you are offered the gospel to trust in Christ, that his name would be paramount in your life, and that you would know, thirdly, the fellowship of Christ's church. This tabernacle of David which is raised up and has outposts around the world is a place for you to enjoy the neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree and have fellowship as believers because together with them you have trusted in that branch lifted up you are living in his tabernacle that he is making the church and you are trusting in the sacrifice made by that rock at the cross of Calvary, where he removed the iniquity of that land in one day. This is true and lasting hope, which applies to all. Come and believe this Savior. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Help us to have this hope not a hope that we manufacture out of our own whims and desires, not a hope that's based on our own works, but rather the hope that's based on the work of Jesus Christ and the plan of salvation laid out in his word. Oh Lord, bless us in the fellowship of your church as we trust in Jesus Christ the Lord. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.